Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Welcome, listeners. It's Brad Kearns here with my sidekick, Dr. Lindsay Taylor in Folsom, California. And we're so happy to have on the line from across the continent in her new home of Connecticut, Dr. Kate Shanahan. Welcome. Thanks, Brad and Lindsay. Uh, things are heating up in the keto world. We have just released the Keto Reset Diet at the time of this uh, recording. And what's going on in the background, especially on your Facebook group that's going crazy, is there's there's some controversy, there's some difference of opinion, there's some misunderstanding. So we decided to go straight to the source, the world's leading expert of all things keto, all things fat-adapted, and um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm buttering you up, but I also want to recognize your contribution to the book because there were so many things in the process of Mark and I digging into this research and listening to the, uh, the thought leaders, and it was difficult to reconcile some of the things. And you're, you're appearing in the book, I think, 24 times, uh, kind of explaining and setting the record straight about some of these confusing matters. But right now, Lindsay's been digging deep and has an assortment of questions or kind of a thread of questions that we thought we would get put it over to you and um, make some clarity for the people that have been reading things that um, might not line up or might be difference of opinion. So why don't yeah, we jump great. right into it, Lindsay? Hope I can help. <laughs> great. Hi, Kate. Hi. Um, let's start with just the talking a little bit about the role of dietary fat in ketosis because, you know, ketos, a ketogenic diet is usually framed as being a high fat diet, but we know that it's not really the high fat that puts you into a ketogenic state that the you know hallmark of a ketogenic diet really is carbohydrate restriction, right? That that's like the biochemical precursor. It's because of the way that the, the two different macros affect your hormones. So hormones are the key regulators here and uh, the, the, particularly the whole hormone insulin, um, also glucagon, another hormone, both produced by the pancreas. But uh, you know the reason carbohydrates have a negative effect on ketosis is because carbohydrate ingestion increases your insulin, and then insulin completely blocks every step in the path of releasing body uh, in the production of ketones. And that starts with releasing the uh, fat from your adipose stores, getting it into the liver, which is the primary source of ketones for the brain and um, getting it into the liver mitochondria, and then the formation of ketones. So insulin, the hormone insulin, which is released in response to carbohydrates, blocks all of that. And so when your insulin levels are high, and by high, you know, that's the question is, what is the number there? And we don't exactly know, but it seems like it's higher than something like five, which is below the lower limit of normal on a lab test, by the way. Um, so, so that is why restricting carbohydrates is important. It doesn't really have to do so much with this, uh, discussion around, um, oxaloacetate and the Krebs cycle, the inter intermediate, it's really more about the hormone because the body doesn't leave the things to chance, but we can control our hormones, but we can't really control the supply of of intermediates, biochemical intermediates like oxaloacetate that well. So it, it just, it, there's a lot of discussion that I've seen around um, oxaloacetate 
being required um, by carbohydrate. I mean, you know, you have to eat some amount of carbs so that you can um, have your citric acid cycle running. And uh, then when that drops, then the oxaloacetate drop is what triggers the diversion of the acetyl-CoA groups into the formation of ketones. So I know that's a lot of biochemistry there, but um, but the, the idea there is not correct. That is not the primary regulator. The primary regulators are hormones and, um, and, uh, some other, some other things that we can go into, but, um, but insulin is a super key regulator. And that's why macro, we have to pay attention to our macros because if we, um, have too much carbohydrate, then our insulin levels are too high and, uh, we can't burn fat and produce ketones. That's really interesting because we know, you know, there are people like Chris Masterjohn out there who are, you know, really hitting the, you know, Krebs cycle in the liver oxaloacetate story really hard. But then I also um, know that, you know, Finney and Volick are on the insulin is key train. So I'm, it's interesting to hear that you're on that side as well. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be controversial because um, we have the people who study this stuff, the people who discovered these cycles are, (laughs) are saying that it's the regulation is occurring at the level of the enzyme and the hormones are controlling the enzymes and some other elements um, control the enzymes. But the people who, you know, discover this stuff and just publish and stuff and do the research at the NIH, that's who I listen to. Um, you know, it's one thing to take a look at a, a cycle and say, well, gee, I'm looking at this myself and I'm seeing that there's a role of this oxaloacetate here. And maybe that if we drop, if we were to drop that, um, then that would affect the Krebs cycle. That's, that's just an idea. It's a hypothesis, but it's not beyond that. And there's currently no evidence that that is a major regulatory factor. Um, you know, basic bio, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that, uh, that you hear that by someone with a PhD in nutrition, because usually you, when you have, a, you know, that kind of an advanced degree, you understand the role of, um, enzymes that enzymes are typically enzymes and hormones are typically the toggle points in the control of cellular metabolism, not the presence or absence of intermediates that, that play roles in, you know, oxaloacetate plays a role in a whole lot of other cycles. So if the body were to wait until oxaloacetate levels were low, um, then we would be in dire trouble. And it's also like, there's a flaw in the thought of just all you need is just to have that, 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 uh, oxaloacetate and the citric acid cycle will run. That is not true either because the, the cell can't just produce energy just because energy is being supplied. Again, there's a regula- there's regulation. And in the fed state, the uh, mitochondria of the liver do not produce ketones. Instead, they produce uh, precursors to cholesterol, or I'm sorry, the, the, it's not even the mitochondria, the, the, the liver produces cholesterol, right? So the liver in the, in the fasted state is generally producing ketones, turning fatty acids that are delivered to it into ketones. And in the fed state, the fatty acids that get delivered are converted into cholesterol that will ultimately go into VLDL. And so that's the choice that the liver makes. It's either going to be making ketones or it's going to be making uh, precursors to VL, to, to cholesterol, whether it's fed or fasted. And um, so the hormone insulin plays a role in helping the liver know whether it's in a fed or fasted state. Okay. So just to clarify then, Kate, when you say fed, you mean 
um, fed as in fed carbohydrates or fed calories? Um, well, anything really, but uh, right. Cause the liver has to d- figure it out. Right. So the body doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get a message from the brain. The, the, the liver does have to figure it out. And so if the liver is loaded with carbohydrates, obviously insulin there is, is the key thing playing the role in reducing the production of ketones. Um, but if there's not a lot of carbohydrate, but you're still in the fed state and you have, um, plenty of fatty acid, uh, laying around, you don't have plenty of energy laying around, um, then the liver still isn't going to be producing ketones. It's going to be taking the fat that it gets delivered to it and doing something else with it because it, the liver doesn't produce ketones unless there's some kind of a need. It's not just going to produce ketones just because you're following a certain macro diet. You have to also be relative, you have to be relatively fasted or you, you have to have um, your insulin levels have to be low. You have to have low energy levels. You have to have low other intermediates that modulate these enzymes. Like one of the key is um, mevalinate. It's a um, it's another it's a signaling molecule that turns off the hormone. Uh, I'm sorry, it turns off the enzyme inside the liver mitochondria that actually manufactures ketones. There's there's multiple enzymes that do that, but this is considered the key control point or what they call the rate limiting step. It's called HMG CoA synthase and it's in the one in the mitochondria. And, uh, so if you are in the fed state, that is that, um, enzyme in your liver mitochondria is turned off. So even if there's fatty acids being delivered to the liver, um, it's not going to be making ketones. It's going to go ahead and start making cholesterol. And so, um, it's gonna, you know, this plays a role in determining why somebody's cholesterol levels go up too, because even though they may be following a ketogenic diet, if they're eating too many calories or eating very often, um, you're going to still not be producing ketones because you're in that fed state. You've got plenty of energy. So you don't need the liver knows that ketones are a source of energy and it knows that cholesterol is required to help store energy. So it's got to decide what am I doing right now? Am I, am I producing energy or am I storing energy? And, and so the, these, um, these uh, hormones that control this and the other enzymes that control it, um, are, um, you know, it's very, very highly regulated and it is not just simply a matter of reducing your carbohydrate intake so that your oxaloacetate levels drop. That is probably doesn't even, like I said, probably doesn't even happen because you, you need that oxaloacetate for a lot of other stuff. So you're saying that, um, PhDs should stick to their main area of expertise, which in Chris Masterjohn's case is obviously basketball and his his correlation with um, uh, dietary habits with win-loss records when Kobe Bryant's injured. Yeah, that's quite an interesting discussion. Uh, you know, I, I haven't really discussed that publicly, but the uh, bottom line is um, there's other teams that are following our diet, and one of them is Villanova. And after on the second year of following the diet, they actually won for the first time, I think, in their in their history, or at least in like generations. And so, at the buzzer. <laughs> they, they won it at the buzzer. Uh, yeah, super great. I know it was so exciting, but, uh, but anyway, you know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into the success or failure of a basketball team to win championships and games. So, but nutrition is, is more, you know, is, is one of the factors in terms of the player's health. 
Um, but you know, to bring the discussion back and, and to be serious, like you know, I, I was I was uh, coming up with an example of flawed critical thinking, where you're making these uh, these intuitive leaps that might not be supported by science. And I think a lot of people in the keto scene are making this assumption that the more fat you eat, the more ketones you'll produce. And you're just kind of uh, calling that out now as um, as as uh, not not correlated. So no. um, my follow up question would be. How are these people putting up these big blood numbers when they're just stuffing their faces with fat in the name of, uh, you know, running the meter up to record numbers? Well, uh, so uh, if I understand the question right, some people are successfully eating tons of fat and getting really high ketones on their the blood tests, or is this a breath test? Yes, exactly. I'm, bl- I'm blood Yeah, meters. okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's other factors. So w- that is one way that you can assist the body in producing ketones, but, uh, you can be following a very high carbohydrate and also be producing ketones. If for example, you just eat one meal a day and you don't exceed your caloric intake. So, because your body puts the extra carbohydrate into storage very quickly, and then it has to release it. And the process of releasing the stored carbohydrate, which gets stored as fat, um, that uh, releases the fat back into the bloodstream where it can reach the liver and then the liver can produce ketones from it. So there's a lot of factors involved and, um, you know, eating fat and eating the right kind of fat can play a role, um, for sure. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not even a necessary, but sufficient. It's, it's not necessary. It's, it's one way that you can modulate your hormones. If you have something like insulin resistance, then you absolutely benefit from dropping your carbohydrate counts to the point where your insulin levels get back to normal. And you have to do that, you know, for an extended time period, but it's hormones and enzymes that determine your uh, ability to produce ketones. And so if there's something going on where you're following, uh, what, uh, what could be considered a ketogenic diet, but you're still not producing ketones. Well, that's because there's something else that's going on. That's affecting your hormones and your enzymes. And, um, the, one of the big things is that you're eating too often. Like there's a lot of folks who have, who follow a ketogenic diet, but they have breakfast and they have a snack, then they have lunch and then they have a snack and then they have dinner. If you're snacking in between meals, your body is constantly being told to store this energy or do something, you know, with the extra energy, you have to either burn what you just ate or store it. And every time you put it into storage mode, you're blocking the liver's ability to generate ketones because those two modes are opposite. The the liver, like I said earlier, is either producing ketones from the fat it gets delivered or producing cholesterol, um, the liver mitochondria, I should say. Um, And um, so that it's either going to be producing ketones that you can burn for energy and times of low energy need or cholesterol that helps you store your excess energy in the form of adipose tissue. And the reason cholesterol is necessary is because it's what the liver uses to make the VLDL lipoprotein particles that take the extra fat um, and package it into these particles that deliver the fat to elsewhere in the body, you know, often, um, often the adipose tissue, but other 
other tissues as well, even muscle and, you know, brain and other tissue, skin. Um, a lot of tissues need, you know, fat and cholesterol as well. Uh, let's pause for a commercial. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kate's Keto Snacks. You can take them on the road. They're synthetically produced and in nice little packages and eat them three to seven times a day to keep yourself in keto. Uh, thank you for listening. Kate, this is a little bit mind-blowing here because it seems like one of the foundational beliefs out there is that you have a free pass, at least from attending some of the conferences where people are pushing the the, the products on you. Um, there's, there really is no Dr. Kate's Keto Snacks. I'm sorry, listeners, for joking. Those, those literal fans that uh, didn't get that as a joke. But it seems like people are walking around with a free pass as long as it's high fat, and then they'll be uh, in the keto club forever on the keto, on the keto train. But you're kind of shattering that foundational belief of the, of the keto scene. Right. I mean, I guess, you know what, maybe this is a good, uh, good time to bring out the difference between burning fat and burning ketones, right? So it, burning fat is great. Um, and it's a little bit easier to be burning fat than it is to be burning ketones. And that, that this is the reason why, because, you know, if your diet is very high in fat, you have almost no carbohydrate. Well, you're really don't have a lot of call to be burning carbohydrate. Um, but, uh, you will not necessarily going to be, you are not necessarily going to be producing or generating a lot of ketones. And, um, you know, does it matter? Well, some people say yes. Some people say no. I think the jury's still out. We do not have any. Re we have a lot of research showing that uh, that ketones modify genetic expression in a really beneficial, profound way, reducing cancer and turning on longevity genes, modulating the immune system. But we're not actually studying um, the the fat burning state. We're just studying the production, you know, a ketogenic diet, and assuming actually that we are getting ketones. In some cases, it's just a ketogenic diet or mice on a ketogenic diet, but they're not, I don't know that all the studies are even measuring their ketones. So there's a big question mark in my mind as to whether or not even these so-called benefits of the ketogenic diet, whether or not you really have to be producing ketones or is it really just from burning fat? Well, Peter Atia said something similar. It was very memorable. And he said that um, it's possible that more than half of the vaunted benefits of ketones come from lowering insulin, not, not necessarily the ketones, but, um, he's, he's yeah. citing research on that, on that level too. So, um, when the science comes out five years from now, or it's, it's definitive, meanwhile, we're kind of going back to these big picture principles, right? That, uh, getting rid of, especially the processed carbs, the things you do in the 21 day metabolism reset are, you know, positive steps, no matter where you stand on the debates that are going on, on the chat rooms, um, we're talking about, you know, getting off that wildly excessive insulin production that's uh, endemic to the modern diet. Yes, absolutely. And um, I always like to just bring up uh, the fact that not all fats are created equals. We haven't mentioned that yet. And when, you know, folks who study this, when the low carb diet, they they very importantly focus on the role of insulin, but almost myopically focus on the role of insulin and forget about the fact that it's where a lot of folks are so far still ignoring the, the different kinds of fatty acids. And this is essential to understand that there are some fatty acids that the mitochondria really don't want to burn. And those are polyunsaturated fatty acids. And maybe they can't even burn them and produce ketones from them. Um, that because 
these polyunsaturated fatty acids were, are not meant to be consumed in the amounts that we consume them, and they are not meant to be a source of energy. They're, they're essential fatty acids. They're vitamins. They're supposed to be used for other purposes in the body, signaling and so on, and precursors to stuff that we make mem cell membranes out of, but they are not meant to be burned for energy. And the mitochondria uh, do not like burning them for energy because it's difficult, and it produces a lot of free radicals, and it uncouples the mitochondria. Uh, and they actually can't produce energy when the l amounts of these polyunsaturated fatty acids exceed a certain threshold. And so what does this have to do with insulin? Well, this is where we get into the crossing over of uh, concepts between the fact that when you cut your insulin and you burn fat and you get a lot of benefits, you really aren't uh, to the point where, I'm sorry, you burn benefit, you cut insulin and you start producing ketones. Why that is um, a good marker is because it means you really are burning fat. You can be on a, a low-carb diet and still have the wrong kinds of fats in your body, those polyunsaturated fatty acids, and you won't be able to burn fat, burn those fats very well. And so you will still be burning more sugar than is ideal. And so there's there's a lot of biochemistry that just doesn't get into this conversation, and it's essential to understand that mitochondria cannot burn polyunsaturated fatty acids. And a lot of folks, you know, doing these ketogenic diets are are not getting the primal blueprint mayo, and they're getting um, which is a real shame. A lot of, by the way, <laughs> yeah, and they're also getting a lot of fat from bacon, which, uh, unless the pigs are not exclusively grain fed, that bacon fat is going to be extremely high in polyunsaturated fatty acids, higher than you know really healthy pigs would would um, higher than properly fed pigs, right? There's also, there's, you know, folks who are worrying about, well, I can't afford the pastured meat and so on. Um, it, don't get bacon then it, get beef because the fatty acid profile of beef doesn't change that much when the cows are fed grain, but of pigs, it does. And it just goes to really that high polyunsaturated, um, fatty acid, uh, and unhealthily high, but tying this back to the whole concept of, um, you know, the, the, the benefits of ketosis versus the benefits of just reducing your insulin. Reducing insulin is half the story at, at best. The other half of the story is eating the kinds of fats that your mitochondria can actually produce ketones from, or that can actually produce energy from. Those, those concepts are one and the same. If your mitochondria can easily produce energy from the fats you're getting in your diet, then the liver can produce ketones. Because the liver, interestingly enough, does not use um, much of the fat that it gets for energy for itself. 90% of the fat that gets delivered to the liver uh, in the fasted state and uh, when the metabolism is healthy is used to produce ketones. Just to clarify for all of our listeners, can you just tell the, our listeners what kinds of fats the liver does like to burn and some good sources of those in the diet? Body fat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Great. And, That's what everyone's wanting to burn. So body fat's a great answer. And um, butter, coconut oil, eggs, cheese, uh, beef fat, uh, bacon fat when the pigs actually get something other than grains in their diet. Um, and um, you know, the saturated, the more saturated and monounsaturated fat, fats. Um, so the oils with profiles like that are going to be your avocado oil and your olive oil and even your peanut oil. 
Um, and, um, and then the, the fats that your body really can't burn very well are going to be the polyunsaturated, high in polyunsaturated, like the, all the vegetable oils, soy, corn, canola, cottonseed, sunflower, safflower, grapeseed. Um, and, um, and uh, they're bad for us because they're processed, but they're also bad when we consume them in the amounts that we consume because we can't use that much for energy. And it just changes the way our mitochondria work and causes a lot of problems, including insulin resistance. Hi, Brad Kearns here, sounding crisp and clean in my new closet recording studio. And here's an exciting commercial. I know we're kind of sick of commercials, especially on podcasts. I want that niche content. I can watch commercials on TV or listen to them on the radio. But if it's my voice, here's my rule. If there's a commercial, it's something that I absolutely love and totally believe in. Seriously. So you're going to hear a lot of primal commercials, of course. But this commercial is for Audible, the audiobook listening service. I love these guys. They've absolutely changed my life because I'm getting a big, giant stack of books next to my bedside with great intentions, falling behind because I'm too busy all day reading a screen, writing and editing books, and just generally not inclined to pick up a book and read. But I have plenty of time on the audio side when I'm out there exercising or traveling in my car. And Audible has a wonderful selection of audiobooks, especially The Keto Reset Diet, New York Times bestseller, which I had the great pleasure of reading. Same with Primal Endurance. So much fun in the recording studios. And if you order these Audible books, you'll get all kinds of value added and asides and tangents where I go off on stuff that's not on the book script. So an extra enhanced reading experience. But try it out, especially because the opening is so enticing. You get a free month to listen to actual full-length audiobooks for free and see how you like it. You can send a book to your friend and they can listen to it for free. And they also have monthly membership options for the price of a few expensive coffees where you can accumulate points. You don't have to use them at any certain pace, but you get a point or whatever per month that credits you toward books. You can listen to the books at your own pace. It's very affordable. You can listen on multiple devices, and it picks up where you left off. You can listen at 1.5 speed, which I particularly enjoy because I can listen to more books, and I don't miss anything. When I put it at 1.5, sometimes 2.0 is too fast, but it's a really good book. I'll go to 1.5. Okay, you with me? Go to audible.com slash primal to try it out, or text the word primal to 500-500. Thank you. And now back to the show. So it's not just carbs that cause diabetes. It's actually these wrong kinds of fats. Yeah, I think that's something that people just don't think about at all. Right. Not enough. (laughs) Because uh, (laughs) we really have to, like, if we're going to be talking about changing the way that um, sports nutritionists um, and athletes understand their fueling, we really have to understand that there are fats that the body doesn't want to burn and we shouldn't be feeding them to athletes who need, you know, to get energy <laughs> from their fat. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I just want to just reiterate for our listeners, um, you know, who are coming and finding Keto Reset Diet after doing some digging into other versions or other, you know, kind of other leaders in the keto world that that is the whole point of what we mean in the keto reset diet when we hammer over and over the idea that metabolic flexibility is your goal, that burning a ton of ketones or even making a ton of ketones isn't your goal so much as keeping insulin low and becoming an efficient fat burner 
and that you don't need to stress overly much about whether or not you're burning fat versus whether or not you're burning ketones because either one is great. Either one is keeping ketones low and we still don't really know. We can't parse out yet the degree to which a ketogenic diet is beneficial because it keeps insulin low and helps you run off fat and makes you a fat burning beast, as Mark likes to say, versus the very explicit benefits of burning ketones. And that's something that, you know, we know a ton of researchers are working on. But in the meantime, if you can focus on the insulin and you can focus on being a fat burner and along the way also be burning ketones, that's what we really want for you. I think a key point there is that, you know, maybe there's benefits from taking ketone supplements for like short-term mental performance, but just in terms of like long-term health and all the genetic benefits and everything like that. Yeah. We, you know, there's, we don't know that it's the ketones doing it. So, um, there's, it's really more about just getting your metabolism to the point where you can burn fat and preferably body fat. Well, this goes back to um, the discussion that we had in the book that uh, featured you extensively where we're talking about this question of especially athletic types putting up low blood ketone readings and your speculation that it was because of this ketone flux where we're making just the amount of ketones that we need uh, and gracefully supplying our brain and our muscles uh, with whatever energy we need. And so the reflective on the on the blood numbers is... A, uh, highly individual, B, possibly related to your metabolic fitness, and C, if you're talking about high blood numbers, um, is that necessarily a good thing or could it mean that you're producing ketones and not burning them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the only concern that I would have about high blood numbers uh, without knowing anything else about a person's diet um, I wouldn't be necessarily terrifically excited if somebody has a lot of uh, ketones in their bloodstream because you can actually make ketones out of essential amino acids. In other words, out of, you know, burning muscle. So without knowing the macros in a person's diet and asking a bunch of other questions, just the presence of ketones doesn't guarantee that everything is correct. Uh, generally speaking, it's a, it's like maybe one of the single most valuable markers, but there's still this possibility that if you've got somebody who is on a high protein, low fat diet, um, and eating frequent small meals, um, but a very avid athlete and in the process of losing weight or losing body fat with this kind of lean and clean thing that's going on a lot in the athletic world, uh, they may be producing ketones, but they're coming from their protein, from their muscle. And so that's not necessarily, uh, I mean, that's not a good thing at all. Well, I think we're going to segue in a minute here into the entire protein story, but that seems like a whole separate <laughs> podcast. So yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me about this lean and clean. I haven't, I'm, I'm out of the loop, man. I, I'm banned from social media. <laughs> uh, so uh, lean and clean is, I hear it a lot in athletes, particularly in LA. And um, I, it's just uh, the idea that you want to, the lean part is that you're low fat and, uh, you know, lean meats and not a lot of butter or oil or anything really added to your food. And then the clean part, um, varies depending on who you're talking to. Like some people, uh, have the idea that dairy is pro-inflammatory. So then that to them, clean means dairy free, or they have the idea that gluten is, you know, toxic to everybody, not just people with celiac disease or gluten intolerance. So that means clean, or just maybe like 
uh, organic or something. So it, it's a it's a little bit of a um, variable term, but generally it means that you're eating frequent, small, high protein, low fat meals with lots of vegetables without a lot of fat. And it's it's a great way to you know to build muscle. Um, it's if you have a lot of self control, you can also lose lose weight on it. But you're generally going to feel hungry a lot with that kind of a diet. Right, which means we know that compliance is going to be poor over the long term for sure, because nobody likes feeling hungry all the time. Right. <laughs> no one cares about the long term in L.A. They just want to you know, <laughs> yeah, get their next, next movie. movie part. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, another exactly. thing on that uh, high high ketone readings, and this is coming from the book too, a memorable quote where you said, look, people come into the ER having the flu and not having eaten and they're putting up high ketone numbers and they're just excreting them and they're, they're, uh, they're urine in their breath. So, um, that's kind of where we're on this, um, continuum of whether you're an efficient fat and ketone burner, or you're just jumping into the diet in an ill-advised manner, putting up big numbers, thinking that you're doing, uh, you're doing yourself well, but it's way more complex than that. Right. Exactly. And another thing that ties to the um, the athletes that, that are should seem like they should be fat adapted, but they don't blow ketones. Um, I think Mark mentioned this, um, or you guys mentioned this in the article, is that <coughs> excuse me, training um, increases the muscle's ability to store triglyceride fat, and so the muscles can just be using that triglyceride that's right there and doesn't need ketones. And so that the ketones are produced mainly for the benefit of the brain, which generally does not use a lot of fatty acids. Uh, well, that's what you get from the Finney and Volick research where in the early stages of transitioning, making that major dietary transition to greatly restrict carbs and promote, uh, promote keto, um, in the early stages, the brain and the muscles are competing for precious energy sources in the name of fat and ketones because uh, the glucose is suddenly gone from the diet. And so you're producing higher levels of ketones in the early stages of your, of your dietary transformation. And then when you become more and more uh, skilled at burning fat, um, your muscles get really good at uh, prioritizing fat and then the ketones are sent on the express train to your brain, meaning that overall you might be producing lower levels of ketones, but your, your brain is getting more keto adapted, your muscles are getting more fat adapted, and that kind of represents the ultimate, uh, the ultimate stages of fat and keto adaptation, where you're a good fat burner in the muscles and you're a good ketone burner in the brain, uh, reminding everyone that uh, the brain can't burn fat, so the brain has to choose between glucose and ketones. And then some of the, uh, some of the research showing that these people transition from well, at, at, at first, you're, you're 100% glucose burner in the brain, and then you can get all the way over to confirm this because we've read different things, um, something like two-thirds ketones and one-third glucose at your ultimate level of fat and keto adaptation. Yes, uh, you know, that's the number that I've run into too. And it's a very interesting number. Um, I would suggest that it, it, you could do perhaps even more on the ketones just because there are some research by uh, that was done like in the 70s, I think by Cahill, one of the main uh, uh, researchers into this area in the 1900s. And he was uh, keeping people on a ketogenic diet and they had very high levels of ketones and their glucose levels were down around nine and they had no 
cognitive symptoms. And just to put that in perspective, a normal glucose level is somewhere around 90. So it's about one-tenth of normal and the brain was still fine. So it does suggest to me that probably the brain after a while, like anything else, gets better at burning ketones. And there's there are a number of people who study um, energetics uh, in the human body, and, and they have kind of universally stated that ketones are generally burned in preference to glucose in probably every tissue, except for those that don't have mitochondria. And those would be? Um, so the ones that don't have mitochondria are like the lens of the eye and uh, <laughs> like red blood cells. And um, then I often hear some parts of the medulla of the kidney or like some minor part of the kidney, but not much. So the vast, vast majority of the body, everything has mitochondria. Uh, that was some enlightening stuff. I think it's going to be earth shattering when the word gets out and um, the, the Facebook group gets gets chattering after this podcast uh, publishes. So thank you so much for talking through some of the misunderstandings about the role of fat in the keto diet. And I think we will get to the next show where we're going to focus on protein and transition into some other topics. So for now, Dr. Cade, thanks for being with us on the podcast. This is Brad Kearns and Lindsay Taylor. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. It was lots of fun. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.